sermon, a Father's Day sermon, and a Mother's Day sermon, and a Children's Day sermon, and just call it a challenge to the Christian family, because we're all part of one another in Christ. Uh, one of the greatest passages, and there's a parallel passage to it in, Col- in Colossians chapter 3, which deals with the uh, family, is found in the great and majestic uh, letter which the Holy Spirit wrote through uh, his faithful servant Paul in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Um, This is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible that deals with the family. Properly speaking, I think we should go back to verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, I believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit controlling our lives is what makes everything else work that he's going to be talking about. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that all that, all that should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies, He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart is to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them that give up. 
uh, same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this part of his word. I guess after Bill's having the Happy Birth, Happy Mother's Day song, remind me a little bit. This week I saw something on Phil Donahue's, uh, had a little section on the Today program between 7 and 8 that I really had a hard time taking in. He had a legislator there from the state of Alaska who has seriously proposed and hopes to see passed in Alaska a law that will permit limited-term marriages. And there was a clergyman there from um, the Chicago area who opposed this because this is a week when we think about the home and the great onslaught that has been made against the home. Uh, Donahue made some statement to the effect that, after all, wasn't it a little severe to ask an 18 or a 21-year-old young person uh, who was feeling all of the juices of erotic life uh, to uh, enter into an engagement and into a marriage contract that would last for 50 years, perhaps. Uh, and wasn't this too much? Well, all of this is so contrary to what the Christian gospel teaches uh, that it, I couldn't hardly take it in when I was watching it. Uh, it is the destruction of the home. And uh, this goes all the way back to the creation itself, or back to the fact that God established the home. If you accept the Bible as authority, and you accept the Genesis account as revelation, uh, you see there that God created man. He saw that there was something that was not good, and he remarked that it was not good for man to be alone. And so out of man, he made a woman. He presented her to man. He asked man to name her. And uh, they were created, male and female, equal before God, and yet with a certain headship and responsibility that has to be respected and honored. I realize that this always opens the door of controversy to some people's way of thinking, but I cannot back away from what Scripture teaches and never intend to do so as long as I have any breath. Uh, I want to stand by the Scriptures because I feel that the Scriptures will lead us safely through the moral morass that we see in the world today with such idiocy as we saw on television last week. We cannot take our clue uh, from fadism, we cannot take it from uh, what uh, is being purveyed there, but we who are, have consciences that are bound to the word of God must go back and seek from it a proper understanding of scripture. And so we see uh, that God created man and said it was not good for him to be alone, and uh, he made woman. And we see the two of them together. And we see that these two together are to create, after 
their sin had come and they were to leave the Garden of Paradise. And it's good to read the first, second, and third chapters of Genesis again. They were to create for themselves as much of paradise as could be regained through their relationship with one another and through their home. There had to be the establishment of a home. God honored us greatly when Moses went up into the mountain and great gate and received the great revelation from God about how we were to live. And one of the troubles that exists today is that we have gotten so far away from what God teaches. God wants us to know that when he speaks, what he says is to be taken seriously. It is to be taken seriously because he cares for us. He cares for us very deeply and very greatly, and he wants for us the very best. And he wants us to understand this. And so he honors us. He honors us by creating laws or boundaries within which we are to live. Because he wishes to safeguard our happiness and our joy, it is not good for man to be alone. He saw that. And so he creates the home. And the onslaughts on the home today make all of us terribly uh, afraid. The first commandment has to do with the fact that there are to be no other gods before him. Nothing is to come between us and God because our loyalty to him is what will make uh, good all of the other relationships. If we break that loyalty to God, the other relationships will spoil. This is the way it will always be. He has told us that we are to not, not to make any graven images. We are not to take his name in vain. That there is to be a rhythm and a cycle to life of work and of rest and of worship, which he wants us to obey. And then when we come to the commandment to honor thy father and mother which is what Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will later point out in his letter to the Ephesians, and which Peter points out in 1 Peter, and which Paul points out again in Colossians. He does all of these things because he wishes to show us how important these human relationships are, the father and the mother. Uh, one of the dreadful things that has hurt us today is the uh, cheapness with which human life is being uh, viewed. The selfishness, the me-oriented culture that seeks only its own fulfillment in selfish desires. A year or so ago when NBC had a television program on uh, a golden ghetto California county, which has the highest per capita income of any county in the United States, Edward Newman did such a brilliant commentary on it that I wrote to uh, Channel 4 Television to a good friend of mine who is the station manager and asked him if he had any way of getting me the transcript. He wrote to NBC and they sent the, a copy of the transcript back and I went over it very carefully. Because what Ed Newman found out was that in the richest county in America, 
where people had turned selfish, they had a 75% divorce rate. They had the, a higher than average rate of juvenile delinquency, a much higher rate of suicide than other counties in the United States, a higher rate of alcoholism and drug addiction. You couldn't call that a very happy situation. A marvelous climate, all the money, and yet all the misery, because it was a selfish, narcissistic thing which had turned in on itself. When you combine that with what we see today in the horrors of the abortion on demand and what it has done to our society since 1973 and the Roe v. Wade decision, eight million abortions have been performed in the United States of America. Everett Koop, who is on the cover of this magazine and who is the surgeon-in-chief of the Philadelphia Children's Hospital, and is recognized generally as the world's foremost pediatric surgeon, has said that this ratio, if continued, will exceed what happened in Japan in 1948 when abortion was legalized there. Then, now, the important distinction to remember is that only 1% of Japan claims to be Christian. And yet here in America, when we take this position with all of these churches and all these Bibles and all these religious programs, we have shown that we do not have a respect for life at its weakest, that a baby inside a mother's womb is a non-person who has no rights protected by the Bill of Rights. He is deprived of life and not with due process of law. And it's a terrible thing that's happening because men's hearts are growing cold. We are bending too much in on self. We grieve when we think of 53 hostages being held in Iran. And here are 8 million innocents in a silent holocaust destroyed. And yet we do not seem very worked up about that. Maybe that's one, one of the things that's happening to us. Maybe the judgment of God is coming to America because of the way we have loosely handled our responsibilities before him. I admire greatly a statement which Pope John Paul II made and which I wish to read to you because it's, it's, it's so good. Faced with problems and disappointments, many people will try to escape from their responsibility, escape in sexual pleasure, escape in drugs, escape in violence, escape in indifference, escape in cynical attitudes. But today I propose to you the option of love, which is the opposite of escape. Whatever you make of your life, let it be something that reflects the love of Christ. Whatever you do, remember that Christ is calling you in one way or another to the service of love.
the love of God and the love of your neighbor. And since he was addressing especially young people, he said these words, My dear young people, you are active. You know that actions speak louder than words. Remember that Jesus Christ must be the Lord every day of your life. That's a great statement from a very great man. The Christian does not run away. He does not escape. A man by the name of Siddhartha Gautama in India, who was a prince, ran away from his wife and child at the age of 29 while they were sound asleep. And he is the one whom we call Buddha, the enlightened one, because he sought to discover a life alone in rugged and terrifying individualism, to discover the riddle of life. But that is not the way of Christ. We cannot live our lives of God, for God, independent of one another. God has arranged things so that we are responsible to Him, and we are responsible to Him in our families and to our fellow men. If we destroy the commandment that has to do with honor thy father and mother, we will destroy the family and we will destroy ourselves in the future. That's why Paul says this is the first commandment with promise. You won't have any generations if we keep going in a selfish and self-centered way. Now, the commandments are there because those first three, those first four deal with our specific relationship with God, and that fifth one is a connector. It teaches us a loving respect for authority. We must have authority to live. And that authority comes from God. All legal systems, from the Magna Carta to the Declaration of Independence, uh, get some of their teachings from what happened on Mount Sinai and what happens on the Sermon on the Mount. We are influenced by these teachings. And when selfishness comes and we destroy these teachings, we destroy ourselves. And so this is one of the things that I felt very important for us to say on Mother's Day. Now let me go to the passage in Ephesians. I want to go to this passage because it starts off by commanding us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If we say that a man is filled with wrath, it means that his wrath controls him. His anger controls him. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is controlling us. And when the Holy Spirit controls us, then those fruits of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the gentleness and the patience, all of these things should be evidence in our lives. And so after we come into this filling of the Holy Spirit, 
we are to recognize our fact that we are to be subject to our husbands as unto the Lord. He speaks this here in keeping the chain of authority. As unto the Lord, we are to marry in the Lord. Christians have no business being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's a booby trap for trouble every single time. It'll always work there. It'll always cause trouble. I know so many young people, I have them all come back to talk with me from time to time about marrying someone and they're going to change them later on. Well, those of us who have been married for a while know that that doesn't always work out that way. Uh, someone was telling me not long ago about a, a, a nervous bride who wanted her wedding to be perfect and she was going to come down the aisle and, and uh, her pastor was a sweet soul who wanted to gently uh, teach her. And uh, she said, but I'm so afraid I'll do everything wrong. And she was so pretty and everything was so elegant. And uh, he said, well, look, I'll tell you how to do this. This was at the wedding rehearsal. He said, when the music starts, when the hymn starts for you to come down the aisle, uh, remember the hymn. And uh, uh, then you look at the aisle. Don't look up. Look at the aisle so you don't step on your dress. And, and, and walk down the aisle. Remember the hymn. Then remember the aisle. And then lift your eyes up and see the altar. And then as you get up close to the altar, avert your eyes to the one whom you love and whom you're going to marry. And so came the day of the wedding. And everyone was listening and she was so pretty and everything was so quiet. But they heard her muttering under her breath as she came down walking at the music, I'll alter him. <laughs> I'll alter him. Uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't realize those words have double meanings, and it doesn't always work that way. Someone told me about some old country man, some mountain man who had gone into town, and for the first time he had seen an elevator, and he was absolutely amazed. He was looking at this at this clock-like device that shows what floor the elevator is on, and he saw this rather old lady with a cane and and false teeth and the glasses and the hearing aid go into the elevator and it went up and he watched it go up and the thing go around and then the elevator came back down and it opened up and this beautiful girl came off and he said I don't know what that thing is but I'd like to get my wife in there <laughs> he, well that, we don't always alter just that way and so we have to learn that things are not going to be altered that much and we have to learn to live within the reasons that are here. Let, let me say this, that Paul has drawn uh, uh, the, the commandment, by the way, wives be subject, husbands love. The two reasons are given for the wife's submission to the husband. It's drawn from creation, as I stated earlier. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, he elaborates this on 1 Timothy 2 and again in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul uses three arguments all drawn from creation. Woman was made after the man, out of the man, and for the man. Since Paul argues from the fact of creation, the fundamental truth that he states is permanent and universal and is not culturally limited. Our human sexuality is part and parcel of our creation. 
masculinity and femininity represent not only a physiological but a psychological distinction. I think one of the terrors that come uh, by the unhappiness uh, with homosexuality is a blur of distinctions and roles here. As a result of creation, God has given to man, especially to the husband in marriage, a certain headship and a certain leadership and a certain authority and a certain responsibility. The wife will also find her true God-given role, not in rebelling against that authority, but in joyfully submitting to it. What God has established by creation, no culture will be able to destroy. And, you know, this is one of the last things you say in a marriage ceremony. Whom therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Why is it that we come down the aisle to be married in the church and hear those words and then go to the court to be divorced? Man puts it asunder. It is also drawn from redemption. If creation explains the relation of a husband and a wife, then redemption illustrates it. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body and its savior. The wife is subject to the husband in everything as the church is subject to Christ. The husband and the wife in their relationship are intended to reflect and exhibit the gospel. The relationship between Christ and his church and is himself its savior indicates that the headship should not rule without responsibility for provision, for protection. They are all included in it. And this is uh, something for us to keep in mind here. Now I think I can show you that this is not uh, something that uh, is as objectionable as many people might think. Now, if these words worry you because they uh, put such uh, authority there, remember that in each of these instances where Paul is going to speak of husband and wife, children and parents, uh, servants and master, always he insists upon the responsibilities of people to exercise their responsibility for the good of the other. He is not giving a list of rights of each, but he is asserting the responsibility that they have for the other, of the other. It's important that if you look at verse 22, uh, you will see that it is the wife's duty to submit to her husband. It is also the husband's duty to submit to his wife as a fellow Christian. For we are all to submit to one another, and the submissiveness is to be mutual. The wife's submissiveness is a particular example of a general Christian grace. Secondly, the person to whom the wife is to submit is not an ogre or a tyrant, but one who loves. The instruction is not wives submit, husbands boss. It's wives submit, husbands love. And if a husband believes that this is a permanent biblical teaching about the will of God, then the husband 
must win the wife's submission by his love for her. And I imagine it's a very different thing for a wife to submit to an ogre on the one hand or to submit to someone who loves on the other. She is to submit to the one who loves her like Christ. And I don't know many women who wouldn't be willing to submit to a husband who loved her enough to be nailed on a cross for her. That's Calvary love. That's totally unselfish love. It's the selfish type that brings the trouble. But we are to love with the standard which is as high as the standard that took Jesus Christ to the cross. And when we love in that way, then I think the submission does not become the problem that some people feel uh, it has become. When you begin to define these words and define what that love entails and the giving of that love that's there, then that points plainly uh, to the fact that we must ourselves be crucified with Christ and die to self that we might show the love and the care and the responsibility that should be shown to others. Then quickly about children. Fathers are clearly told not to provoke their children to wrath. Children are to obey both parents, and parents should not pit the children one against the other. This is one of the saddest things that I ever have to deal with, is when people are quarreling and one plays one child against the other. Uh, mother says you can do this, and father says you can't do it, and then the children learn who they can manipulate and then you have a junior demon on the way uh, because he's not going to obey he's going to manipulate but we are to uh, if our children show us the love and the respect and that honor goes on you know when, when you're a little child your parents may take you to the zoo and in the zoo if you've had the experience I've had I can't read maps very well anyway you look at the map and it shows where the lions are and where the tigers are and where everything else is. So you tell your little children who are with you, okay, we're going to go over here and see this and then we're going to go over here and see the tigers and then we're going to go here and see the giraffes and we've got to walk this way to get there. Well, now, they are honoring you and obeying you when they follow you because you're guiding them, because you love them and you want to see them. Now, there will come a day when old dad is going to have his trifocals on and he won't be able to read the map. He will have left his glasses someplace else. And he'll have his young son who's 20 or 30 or 40 with him who can read. And he'll say, here, the father will say, you take the map and show me where they are. And you see they're honoring one another there's a mutual esteem and love and respect that goes there. And that's the kind of uh, love and respect that we're being taught uh, from Scripture here uh, to understand. And when we see this, we see an unselfish pattern of love that is taking place. And we need to nurture our children. The word nurture means to discipline, by the way. And discipline is very important. Uh, 
none of us would want any of our children to be driving a car unless they'd have driver's education or unless they had been taught how to drive. It would be too dangerous. They would kill either themselves or someone else uh, in an automobile on the road. We want them to learn. Well, there are moral issues that deal with life that we Christians must be teaching our children uh, if we are to see them come up and produce Christian families and to have families that stand for Jesus Christ in the world. So we discipline them, not out of anger, but out of love. And we work together as a unit, each for the good of the other. We pray with our children. Uh, we pray for them. We teach them the values there in the home. Uh, and remember, we're under all of this onslaught today and the secular humanism which has pervaded the schools and the television and the media, every place. And it has never been needed more than that they should see us by the example and also by the teaching which we give them come up in this nurture uh, which is discipline and admonition which is words uh, to train them in the way that will cause them to uh, know the Lord and to bring honor to Jesus Christ. There is so much that needs to be said about this. We all need to pray for the families of America. We need to pray for our families, we need to be grateful for mothers who have shown us the love of the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons I asked Arlen to sing the song that he did this morning was that I could remember a mother who worked like a slave in the Depression to see to it that her fatherless seven children got food to eat and were made to go to school and created with them in, in them a desire for education. When I called her yesterday to talk with her on the phone, and uh, she doesn't think much of Mother's Day. She's, she says it's just a lot of advertisement that they ought to spread it all over the year. And that's, that makes good sense. At 87, that's pretty good thinking. And, uh, you know, when you have someone who teaches you that God is the most important one in your life. If the mother goes in a store and shoplifts or steals, then Junior is going to shoplift and steal. But if mother goes in the store and teaches you what's honest, and you pick up something which, when you're a little child and take it, and you get up to the counter and she says, what are you doing with that? You take it over there and give it to the man and tell him that uh, you're sorry you took that. Those are where children begin to learn. And so we must, uh, begin to teach them. Remember that, uh, according to A.C. Nielsen, children under five watch 23 and five-tenths hours of television a week. Now, there's where your influence is coming from. High school graduate has seen 15,000 hours of TV. When he graduates from high school, he's seen 350,000 commercials and 18,000 murders. So we must pray for our children and we must set them ex an example uh, by which they can live and grow in Christ. I remember going to Dr. Joseph Hopper's house 
here in Montreat one time on Mother's Day. And I spoke to Miss Margaret Hopper, his aunt. And I said, tomorrow is Mother's Day. What should we say about Mother? She said, I'll tell you what our mother told Joe. She said, you don't talk about Mother. You tell him about Jesus. <laughs> and tell him to love him more. When I thought of that, I thought of an old book that I've read over and over by Ian McLaren beside the Bonnie Briar Bush. And there's a chapter called His Mother's Sermon. And there's just a beautiful little close to it that's worth listening to today. His mother had been dead for five years and he had graduated from the University of Edinburgh and had gone to his first pastorate. He had won the gold medal for scholarship and had worked all week on a very learned sermon that he was going to deliver on Sunday morning in his first church. And his old maid aunt had come to be his housekeeper. And uh, when he started going over this learned discourse with her, she reminded him of that five years before when they had both knelt by his mother's bed when she died. She had given him her golden watch and chain, and she had told him that if the Lord should call him into the ministry, and he had the cross of Christ to bear, not to be worried that he always carried the heavy end himself. And he said, if he should call you into the ministry, on your first sermon, in your first church, be sure you say a good word for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only answer to our relationship to our mother. He looked to his mother from the cross and saw that she was honored and cared for. He is the only answer to our relationship with our children and the beautiful stories that he told. He is the only answer in our relationship with one another because we are to forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us and he has given us the help of the Holy Spirit to live. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have talked about a subject that's too big for us today. Unaided by the Holy Spirit, no one of us can build a Christian home. But with that aid, no one of us can fail if we be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Help us in all our relationships, to our parents, to our children, to our wives and husbands, to those who work for us, so that they may not see in us something that is contrary to the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, but so that they may see in us things that make it easy to love us, because we love him. We pray now for thy grace and mercy and peace to keep us each one and to draw us closer to the Savior in whose name we make our prayer.